My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Um, there we go. Oh, God. Never gets any easier. Missed it. So, cool. All right, Jason. Um, that's really all I had other than... Um, dude, hey. are there any notes on... Or is there any background on the second invasion of Paramar? Oh, with like the Loyalist counterattack two years yeah. later? Yeah. Not that I can find. Right? Oh, man. Why is there not? So if this was two years later... This would put it at, I mean, it would put it like almost near the Siege of Terra, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, right around, uh, I think, what, 010 M31, yes. I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, the first battle, uh, the first ba battle of Paramar is six, let me see, 673 006 M31. Oh, you know what? You're right, Jason. I'm sorry. So on page 30, they actually explicitly call out the second battle of Paramar yeah. as 008M31. And the third battle of Paramar is obviously during the scouring, um, yeah. 019. So I, I guess we can extrapolate from that a little bit, right? That the second battle of Paramar was probably unsuccessful. Uh, if they had to go back and fight a third one, right? This is not, this is not rocket science here, you know. No, they went back for the lulls. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, you never know. You never know, man. You know. They all um, that juicy, juicy Mechanicum technology. Yeah, but no, it is. It's one of those things, man. It's just okay. I love it because it just leaves so much to the imagination. Which is such a rich setting to go back and. And uh, you know, fight your own campaign, indecisive campaigns, right? Be a good place to do it. On the one hand, yes, but also it leaves so many frustrating gaps uh, that I just want to know. Like, like I still want to know what a what is it like a Gethsemane warp witch is. Yeah, me too. If you're listening, Black Library authors, we need <laughs> to know. Somebody's got that in their notes somewhere. Please, right? like, God, just just answer the question. It's Go probably ahead. like John French. See, like John French or like uh, like Andy Horror has that like like written down. It's like I, when I write this book, gonna we'll talk about this. I don't know. I figure if anybody could do it hilariously well, it would be Anthony Reynolds. I mean. Eater of Worlds was amazing. Yeah, he's really? he's a great author. I just feel like he's kind of been left out of the heresy milieu. You know what I mean? It feels like, yeah, because he does a ton of stuff with the Flesh Terrors back right before the transition to 8th uh, edition. Stuff got all weird. But uh, 
he yeah. does a lot of stuff like it feels like the scouring era too like was basically when eater of worlds was yes but yeah he does, he, like you said he does such a great job at it well i guess uh welcome back listeners to a another fun-filled episode of heresy grad school i think we're uh finishing up our coverage of paramar i know i'm excited i know dave's excited and i'm pretty sure jason's excited eh, you know i'm getting there yeah. excited to, excited to be to be done with it or to um like yeah talk to cover, about it to cover the end of it <laughs> yes <Talk about> yeah it. <laughs> No, it's good, man. This is this has been really fun. I, I think um you know, Jason and I were just talking. Uh the Battle of Paramar uh has some some sort of cliffhanger moments that we'll get to. Um obviously if you've looked at page thirty and uh the sort of task organization of the forces that are fighting on Paramar. Um, you'll also notice a reference to a second battle of Paramar in 008 M31, and then a third battle of Paramar in uh, 019 M31. So probably doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that, um, well, we'll just have to leave that for, for the listeners to figure out. But um, yeah, I, I have one housekeeping note, though, from last episode uh, that I, I don't think I made the link explicitly. I think probably our listeners are smart enough to figure it out. But um, in the sort of the call out box on page 30, where we talk about the forces, Legio Graphonicus uh, is described as having uh, a demi Legio of three Primaris Manipoles and two Ventari Maniples. So this book was written before um, Adeptus Titanicus, and it was written before I think a lot of the work was done on sort of codifying sort of what Maniples are, right? So I think if I were to guess, if I were sort of to extrapolate from what a Primaris Maniple would be, is uh, I would go for an Axiom Maniple, right? I think that's sort of your, your stock Maniple. Um, and then the Ventari Maniple would be, you know, a Venator Maniple. Um, so that's my thoughts, guys. What do you think on that? It seems the most likely course. Uh, you know how they love to get uh, really intense with the Latinizations of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's all sort of, yeah, it's, and, and honestly, this, this problem exists even in the lore today, right? If you read uh, Titan Death, we're still not there, and, and that's okay. I mean, I think different legions, legios, probably describe maniple formations differently, but um, so if I were a betting man, I would say that uh, the Legio Graphonicus had three Axiom maniples, probably Warlord. Um, Reaver, Warhound, maybe a couple Warhounds, a um, couple Reavers, maybe. Uh, Venator Maniple, uh, it's a light Maniple, so Reaver, Warhounds. And then it gets down, we go to the trader side, Legio Furians, and uh, we've got Sub Legios, which is interesting as a distinction from a Demi Legio, right? Like a Sub Legio. Like, why would you do that? 
Um, oh. When I think of the difference between like sub and demi, sub mm. can be a larger section of something at least compared to like demi implies that the size is even smaller. But again, just my two cents. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think Pat, you're sort of on it. Um, but obviously they've got the higher numbers and they, they don't really explicitly explain what that is. Just eight to 10 maniples of various classes. So, so there we go, guys. That's my housekeeping from last episode as we go and, uh, wrap this up jason you guys pat you guys got any housekeeping before we get into it i mean all in all that's a lot of titans like what would yeah. eight to ten that'd be like what 40 to 50 engines yeah yeah that's that's a shit ton of titans to put down on a planet um that's One more than too. i mean jason i'm just thinking i'm not sure i have the math on hand but that's more than Mortis put down on um, Prospero, right? Yeah, that's true. I think and they were only even about a... two dozen. I want to say. Yeah, and I don't even. They, I mean, so but they weren't really expecting to fight out uh, uh, Zestabiax, but still, <laughs> that was fucking way more than they put down on on uh, Prospero. But yeah. how many um, Titans did Order uh, Sinister? take with them was it just one or was it more than one it's a good question i no, i think it was more than one it was more than one i mean it probably was i just feel like yeah when you hear sinister you normally think of their giant ass evil uh anti-psy warlords and it's kind of like why would you ever need more than one so it's a great point pat i i don't actually think i you know i don't think legio sinister has any classes that are smaller than a warlord i'm not sure they have any other classes except for warlords um i think the last and then this is going back in my memory now i think they have 40 warlord titans and i think that is legio sinister i think they're all built on the same pattern um to the same specifications they were built in secret by the master of mankind uh nobody else knows how to do it um i think they're all on terra and they're all charged by cycles like yeah which i mean they have a they, they I mean they have a plasma reactor too but i think the weapons certainly yeah there's some there's some weird shit in there oh yeah have you guys read the short story ordo sinister fuck yes i have it's ter- like listeners if you have not checked out i think it's uh what is it what do they call it like the e-short it's not super long but it's spectacular Go check out Ordo Sinister to get to the bottom of that delicious lore bomb. Yeah. That's the one, Jason, where they have the princeps like walking along the Imperial Palace, right? And then he 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 kind of runs into some custodes and then he runs into some other sort of people and uh he just fucking tells him he like tells him to fuck off, right? He like shows like, him his ring. Yeah, hey, I'm out for a walk. <laughs> Step off. Yeah. Go suck eggs. Go away. So good, man. So good. <laughs> right. Well, you know, all this Titan talk is a perfect segue to where we last left our discussion on Paramar 5. So let's talk about what's going on between Legio Furians and Legio Graphonicus. Fight, 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 fight. 
Oh, and it's a pretty big one. Uh, when we last left off, this was around hour three of the first Battle of Paramar. Uh, the Titans are still trading shots back and forth, but their numbers have been drastically reduced. Uh, starting out, like Dave just said, we're talking about eight to ten maniples from Legio Furians and about five maniples from Legio Graphonicus, which of course includes all of that, um, all of like the Secretary maniples, the support automata, all sorts of stuff. So it's gotten to the point where the initial loading, or not loading, <laughs> uh, the initial landing zones of the Alpha Legion are basically choked with radioactive fallout because so many of these Titans have gone critical, have overloaded, have fallen. And if you want to go back and check out that lovely map on page 26 and 27, uh, you can see all of what we've been talking about over the last couple of episodes. But if you want to turn your attention to the Provender Loader Station, kind of right in the middle of page 26 there, this is the first major victory for the Alpha Legion from where they've started to take a foothold uh, in Paramar. Now, we talked last time about how they sort of split their attack into two different wings to swoop around the big giant no man's land. The Titans were created by firing at such close range. Uh, this one over here at the Provender Station and Supply Complex is to the southwest uh, this is the one headed by Armillus Dynat himself. And the ruins of these complexes, because they take it pretty quickly, uh, they're used as a firebase to attack uh, the Terminus Station itself. Uh, the entire time they're doing this, headhunter squads are scouring the area, kind of looking for survivors, but also searching for subterranean access to the complexes they know are underneath uh, this whole you know, system and these supply complexes. Now, on the opposite side of the Titan battle, the Alphas are having a much harder time here. Uh, big thing that causes a problem, uh, Iron Warrior super heavy, super heavy armor and Dreadnoughts emerge from underground bunkers and silos that, you know, every single time we talk about an assault on a... Uh, Mechanicum Homeworld, whether it's like, you know, Jawar Cod, whether it's something in the Coronid Deeps, whether it's here on Paramar, every single time Astartes are surprised by these subsurface bunkers. Uh, like on Prospero, where essentially the representative from Jawar Cod went there and he set up like a crazy, you know, like doomsday prepper super bunker that housed the entire Legio Zestaviax. They just came up out of the ground. And for some reason, nobody ever expects this, but it keeps happening. And the Iron Warriors really put it to good use here. So their super heavies uh, sort of cut the Alpha Western Assault Force completely in half. Their super heavies go after the Light Alpha Strike Armor, which is kind of in a bad position now since they're trying to assault the Terminus. But... Um, they're not a lot of match for super heavy armor on a, you know, on a good day with good positioning, but this is in a really compromised position. And for the dreadnoughts um, of the Iron Warriors, this is where they also start causing problems for the Alpha Legion super heavy armor. 
because while a lot of them, and they're supported at the time by uh, automata from Legio Graphonicus, many of them are destroyed, but the ones that do close are actually inside the engagement range for some of the super heavies, which of course causes a massive problem because glaives, fell blades, what have you, operate pretty well at a distance, but not so well when, you know, a Contemptor Dreadnought is like punching in your transmission. It's not conducive to operation and probably voids the warranty. Now, by hour five, uh, the only reason that the Iron Warrior sort of... Uh, Surprise assault from these underground bunkers does not completely curtail everything by hour five. Uh, Alpha Legion glaives, a whole squadron of them actually, accidentally penetrate underground Prometheum lines and create this sort of miniature hellscape and this lake of liquid fire straight in the middle of everything, which kind of shoves both sides apart and kind of splits the assault force again. So now they're two tiny ones trying to you know, battle it out on each side of a giant hell lake. Now, uh, by hour five, though, it's more or less a full-on swing to the traders now. There are massive, massive casualties, but the Alpha Legion has inexorably pushed the defenders back and back and back until just the Terminus remains. The Iron Warrior Castellum Stronghold line is so dug in so well prepared that the only thing that ends up breaking them is a shield wall of House Petraxis Lancers and Togmata Sartarial Siege Automata, which is a super cool picture of just like a shield wall, like a testudo formation of Lancers uh, guarding a bunch of siege automata, like lobbing plasma mortar fire into Iron Warrior fortifications. Uh, that's terrific. And I want to see that happen in a game somehow. The Iron Warriors in these Castellum strongholds know they're going to lose. So they're taking every single step back at a cost to the attackers. Uh, Kirvalen himself is nigh on lethally wounded. Uh, he's actually dragged from the rubble of a Castellum stronghold that's been destroyed by his own apothecary corps, still firing weapons and cursing vehemently at the Alpha Legion attackers. Um, well, if Legio... that doesn't make you want to play... Sorry, Jason, I'm just saying, like, if that doesn't make you want to play Loyalist Iron Warriors, I don't know what would. Um, actually, no, that's the only reason you'd ever want to play Loyalist Iron Warriors, is to recreate that entire scene of a angry badass shooting while his apothecaries are trying to stick stems into him or if you want to armor 15 bunker to stick a bunch of heavy weapons in either one cure valens your guy there you go so legio furians has suffered just as heavily as the alpha legion themselves there are only about a dozen surviving titans from the 40 or 50 that they lost or that they uh started this battle with they have lost 30 maybe more and however at this point there's not a whole lot stopping them from leveling the terminus defenses from out of their effective range so dynat himself kind of watches 
the Myrmidons of Tagmata Sartari will break open the Panopticon fortifications and exterminate all of the survivors. However, even after sweeping the entire complex, there remains no sign of any of the surviving Iron Warriors that fell back. Kirvalen, or the Archmagus Surya Neon. So, that's left open yet again to interpretation and Forge World heavily implying that you should make your own adventure. Now, this is undoubtedly the fall of the entire Paramar Nexus complex, and the Paramar 5 has been taken with its stockpiles and assets intact. Now, comes my favorite part of the entire Paramar 5 engagement. So, it's well known I'm not a huge fan of the Loyalists. I'm not a huge fan of Horus much either. Uh, no, a, you don't say. <laughs> he has a whole lot of shortcomings as a Warmaster that are kind of mirrored in a lot of the Loyalist Primarchs as well. But it's neither here nor there. But uh, when news reaches Horus of Paramar 5, it's uh, overwhelmingly successful from the Alpha Legion. Immediately, this is followed by requests for aid and reinforcement from Tagmata Sartarial, because the same day the Alpha Legion conquers Paramar 5, they root through the uh, combined weapon stockpiles and then jet off to parts unknown, leaving the Tagmata Sartarial there completely unsupported and by themselves. Um, Sartarial? Uh, sends these requests for reinforcement because they they feel like they can't even hold down like you know insurgent rebellions or uh, pockets of loyalist resistance, much less you know counter assaults by loyalist forces, which is actually a pretty good um, actually a pretty level fear to have because uh, as Dave outlined earlier, it's about two years before there's a massive loyalist counterattack. Uh, but since the Alpha Legion has jetted as soon as victory was declared on Paramar 5, the Warmaster is forced to direct forces there to hold it, because it's not something he can put up with losing again. He can't afford, you know, for this massive Mechanicum stockpile to immediately be lost before he can put any of it to use. So, as an addendum, to this account, there exists an entirely unsubstantiated report, meaning it 100% happened, or else they wouldn't include it here, and that's what's funny. Uh, Horace is furious. He sends a missive to Alfarius demanding an explanation for what went on. Alfarius responds, quite pleasantly, they had followed their orders to the letter. They'd taken Paramar. They weren't required to garrison it. They did exactly what they were supposed to and left it at that. However, uh, within that message, a second message was said to have been encrypted in the substance of the first, and took the form of an ancient Terran proverb in a tongue long millennia dead, Malakara Nul Gayaje, or in the modern form, the devil is not mocked. And that's how Alfarius gives Horus the stiff middle finger as he space pirates his way off to eventual victory. And he's yeah, still alive to this day. <laughs> no, that's such a good ending. I love it because it's the Alpha Legion getting away with everything they wanted to get away with, right? They 
you know, they played the game, they took Paramar, they took the supplies that they wanted from Paramar, they disappeared into the uh, the sunset, and then they sort of, uh, yeah, they sort of gave Horus the, uh, the sort of, yeah, fuck you, dude. You know, you we did what you told us to, but nothing more. I think that's the nicest way to say fuck you. Like, if we're going to be honest, I'd prefer somebody to use... Well, so, no, cause you kn- because you know what that means, right? So so this is... this is and, and Jason probably talked about this, and I was just, like, falling asleep or drinking. But, um... <laughs> so what that means is that uh, Horus now has to garrison uh, Paramar, right? So... So the Alpha Legion fucks off, right? They take they take the material uh, strength that they want from Paramar, and they leave uh, Satrael sort of and her Dark Mechanicum uh, to garrison this planet. And she's like, "Man, we we don't have the strength to do this." So then Horus has got to divert more of his strength to Paramar to actually secure it, make sure that it doesn't revolt, and make sure that. You know, it doesn't, you know, go, you know, go sideways. And so really it is Alpharius playing games, right? It's like, yeah, we did what you said, but we're actually going to cost you more. So I think that's my favorite part of this is Horus set up this entire endeavor to kind of yeah, measure test a little bit. Like yeah. with Alpharius, right? Like yeah. he's like, well, you're under my command now and your wacky hijinks are... No longer part of the game, Alpharius. You're going to do what I tell you to do, and you're going to like it because I'm the new War Master. And this is what happens when you fuck with Alpharius. It will inevitably bite you straight in the ass. Yep. It's going to go sideways. This is all post-Legion, right, Jason? The book, the Black Library book, Legion. Oh, yeah. the novel, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think it has to be. Yeah. It would. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just always curious and, and thinking about how much of Alpharius's moves during um, the heresy were were motivated by Cabal stuff or motivated by just his own whims, you know? I honestly think they prepared for this, like, even during the heresy. Like, they had operatives entombed on Terra just in case they needed them. Like, I think they definitely prepared for this, too. Very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just one of those things you never know what you're getting with Alpha Legion. Oh, absolutely. But one thing I would like to end on because I think it's pretty spectacular, and most of what we've been seeing is the sort of traitor side of things. Uh, I wanted to end with this testimony of veteran Sergeant Titus Avon on page 31. All right. So if you guys want to check this out, page 31. Nine attack waves we threw back shattered. Nine. Ours was the last castellum to fall on the eastern side of the terminus. I take pride in that. For all the blood and broken bodies for the dead brothers. Pride. Iron within and iron without. We were true to our word. 
It was glorious and terrible. It was everything battle should be, rendered down to a razor's edge and sliced into body and mind, the most glorious battle I have yet seen. They were so like us, too, our equals, and yet so different, those Alpha Legion bastards, those snakes. I cut them down, and there was bitter joy in it, the joy of betrayal avenged. We knew nothing of what Horus or our own thrice-damned Primarch had done then, only that our so-called brothers, those azure-armored liars and backstabbers, they turned on us and spat upon the Imperium they had sworn to defend. They were trying to take Paramar for their own, and we couldn't allow that, no matter the cost, no matter the odds. We were doomed. Every one of us knew it, but what did it matter? We were iron warriors. We do not relent. It was like a scene from some myth of a world's ending. The titans burned before us in pyres of atomic fire. The skies howled and cackled as the void shields were hammered from above. They came out of the billowing ash and dust like specters, fast armor racing, speeders slicing the air like blades, and they hit us so hard the walls shook. But we took it, and we dealt them death back and made them bleed for every assault they tried. They were cunning and fast. They were pinpointing our killing zones, probing for weaknesses. We could see the game. It was one we were also adept at playing. We shifted our fire patterns, and they adapted. They struck a breach, and we turned it into a death trap. Over and over, we matched. They countered. It was glorious, as I say, glorious and ultimately futile. Our walls couldn't match their firepower. No fortress will ultimately stand against a superior force. Given time, any wall will fall if hammered long and hard enough. Such is the first truth of siege warfare. And they were good. I'll give them that. Almost as good as we were. They had help, of course. The Togmata, Mechanicum killing machines. Scores of black and crimson-clad battle automata, blast-shielded tanks with enhanced radiation weaponry, plasma mortars, articulated war engines wreathed in lightning, the likes of which I've never seen before in five decades in the Legion service. If their rams touched our walls, those walls fell. Ferrocrete and ceramite came apart like sand. Such was the fate of each cast of them we had built in turn, and did the breaches the traitor Mechanica made, our once so-called brothers of the 20th, poured and made a bloody match with us. We were alone there at the last, but we still turned them back from our walls, twice through sheer weight of fire and the precision of its use, and the last time, when our guns were all but emptied by countercharge, our iron against theirs and ours proved the stronger. I lost my left hand there, burned to cinders, killing a majos with a spear that blazed like a sun, but we threw them back one last time. There were only perhaps twenty of us left, twenty living iron warriors, amidst a hundred of our fallen, far too few to hold our shattered walls against foes born of the same arts as we were. There was no respite then. They were in amongst us, out of the smoke. We couldn't keep them out. One of the alphas killed the last of my squad, punched a power blade through his gorget before he could turn. I smashed him down in repayment, but even as my hammer shattered his skull, and the s I could see it was over. They were everywhere. My fortress had fallen. That's when I keyed the seismic charges we planted, even as we built the walls where we stood behind. Not just in my castellum, you understand, but in all of them on the east side of the terminus. It was my responsibility, for I was the last. Why? It's because I've already said. We knew from the beginning we couldn't stand, but it didn't matter. Iron within, iron without. We made them pay. My survival was, well, unexpected. But such is the genius of tactical dreadnought armor. Attaining my freedom again, that was more difficult. I knew the surface was death, but digging downwards through the rubble to the subsurface vaults beneath the terminus proved arduous even for an iron warrior. 
especially when missing a limb, suffering major organ failure and blood loss. How long? 19 days. 11 hours, 43 minutes side reel. So my own counting made it. And that is the excerpt from the sworn testimony of veteran sergeant Titus Avon. Damn. Right? Dude, that is so good. And I, I just want to say, like, there's nothing more badass than a dude triggering, you know, mass seismic charges across an entire battlefront and then fucking digging his way into a subterranean vault, right, with one arm bleeding out. I mean, that is as Iron Warriors as you can get right there, man. It doesn't matter what side of the fight you're on, right? Loyalist trader. That's just fucking Iron Warrior right there. I think um, my favorite part of that entire account is, oh, 19 days. I counted. Because, like, you know his, like, targeting software in his <laughs> dreadnought armor has to be out by then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, this that was just, like, eidetic memory, right? I mean, that's the G, right? That's, that's fucking, um, oh, my God. Uh, why am I spacing his name right now? That's Perturabo, right? That's Perturabo's gene code coming through, right? That's the almost Asperger-y, you know, like, I'm just, I just have to do that, right? Compulsive, obsessive, compulsive, right? Like the dude's fucking counting the seconds as he digs through this this underground. But what I also love about this, and we see this again and again throughout the Black Books, right? Book four and six, is there there are these excerpts, right, that are the sworn testimonies of these survivors, uh, mostly loyalists. So, um, but it begs the question, like, who are they giving the sworn testimony to, right? Like, who's writing this down? And obviously, it's, you know, some, you know, menial in the Adepta back on Terra after the whole thing is over, right? So this guy got scooped up somewhere along the line. He got brought back to Terra. He was probably, like, interrogated, and this is his sworn testimony. They're like, you're an Iron Warrior, we're going to fucking interrogate you. We want to hear your story. And here's your, here's, here's this dude's story. Who knows what happens to him. Right. Um, and who knows when this actually, you know, this testimony was given, but I think in terms of like atmospherics, just raw atmospherics, man, this is, is so good. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of sad to be leaving Paramar now. I am a little bit too. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, there will be other great adventures, though, <laughs> as we always seem to find them. And then we go off on tangents within those adventures and then we come back. You know? Oh, totally. Especially for the Alpha Legion. Nothing bad ever happens ever again. Yeah, <laughs> duh, it's the Alpha Legion. They'd never talk about it. Isn't that their whole thing? Don't talk about it, be about it. No, is that not their motto? Okay. Something like that, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or Dead Man Tell No Tales. No, wait, that's Pirates of the Caribbean theme. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> but thank you so much for uh, covering all this, Jason. And and Dave, you know. Yeah, you know, Jason did the heavy Jason did the heavy lifting on that one. Um <clears throat> I did wanna just give the listeners like one little nugget before we before we pull off altogether. Um, if you guys want to go to page 160, 
um, and actually, sorry, sorry, 158. Um, that's where we start with uh, Legiofurians, right? And so on page 157, uh, they give you some idea of what Legiofurians' um, material strength is going in. And so they're rated as a Secundus class uh, Legio. So about 110 to 140 God machines. Um, so that gives you an idea of like the amount of folks they actually had. Sorry, why did I say folks? Machines. That gives you an idea of the amount of machines they actually deployed to uh, Paramar, right? So if it was 40, then, you know, that could have easily been, uh, you know, a half up to a third of their material strength. So, so they were definitely in force at Paramar. And uh, you guys can read more about the machines that were involved in Paramar on pages 158, 159, some beautiful full-color plates. Keep going and you'll get to Legio Graphonicus, beautiful full-color plates. Uh, spoiler alert, they all die. <laughs> no! <not laughs> that's, all I, that's, that's all I got, guys. What a shame. What a shame. All right. Well, that's Paramar wrapped up with an attractive little bow. Indeed. Um, well, Jason, I think we need to go on into uh, your new segment, my man. Oh, gosh. What segment is that? I haven't prepped. Jason does the rules. Oh, God, we're still doing this. Jason does the rules. I'm working on some intro music. Don't worry about it. No. Is rules right? It should totally be like a 19, like a late 80s, early 90s, like Knight Rider theme. Like that would be perfect to fucking fit with like the third, fourth edition rule set that we're going with i think that oh would, gosh yeah that's that the worst thing about playing as long as i have is edition bleed yeah oh i bet oh boy what do you think jason what do you think tank shock came became a thing i the first edition i can firmly remember it in is fifth before that it's anyone's guess right tanks yeah, I... were so weird in third i mean you had penetrating and glancing hits still, but instead of having hull points, you rolled on a table. So, I mean, essentially you could just keep winging shots off a tank and keep getting glancing hits and never actually doing anything to the tank. Because there are no hull points or structure points, right? Yeah, right. you actually have to roll and explodes or yeah. to put that tank down. Yeah. I kind of like that. Kind of cool. Kind of feels like, meh, yeah, this tank can take some damage or not. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So let's talk about tank shop because I don't think we talked about that last time. No, we talked about uh, moving through cover and grenades last time. We did. So, guys, tank shock is one of those small fringe rules like blind or pinning that I am absolutely in love with that folks seem to. They're aware it exists, but they don't know, like, the details of it. So, Tank Shot is a specific choice uh, that you make during the movement phase when you're moving a vehicle with the tank 
type. So unfortunately, you can't tank shock with like a land speeder, but you can with a rhino. A couple of Mechanicum vehicles have fun special rules for tank shock, but it's neither here nor there. So for a tank shock to occur, you say, I am tank shocking, and you choose the amount of movement you are going to use. Now keep in mind, this is just tank shocking. We're not talking ramming, uh, which is to other vehicles, just tank shocking through infantry. You pick the amount of movement you're going to make, you move that movement, and as soon as you contact a infantry squad, uh, they take a leadership check. Now, two things can happen here. Uh, if they fail that leadership check, they're going to break and run 2d6 inches, just like they would if they failed a combat and broke and ran. If they pass that leadership check, your opponent has an option. He can move models out of the way, um, like he would uh, if the tank stays in position and occupies a spot a model of his would be when it stops. So, um, I explained that kind of awkwardly. So, if your tank passes across a squad, it the rule states specifically it will just pass through and the squad stays together as if the vehicle had not been there. Now, the fun part of this is if your tank stops where his enemy, the enemy models in space they occupy, they have to be moved a minimum of one inch away, just like any other model. So it can be very handy for scooting an infantry squad off of an objective. Because um, a large chunky tank like an Explorator, a Land Raider can easily take up plenty of space and scoot infantry off an objective when you need it to happen. Now, that's not nothing stopping them from assaulting it next turn, but it gets them out of the way when you need them to, but only if that tank stops in a position where an enemy model is. If you move completely through the squad, only the models that need to be displaced at its end position are actually moved. The rest don't need to move at all. So something big to keep in mind, because they don't have to move unless your tank sits where they occupy. Now, the other option your opponent has is to perform what's called a death or glory. Your opponent picks a single model who gets to make a single attack. Now, this is single attack, period. It can be a shooting weapon or a close combat weapon. Doesn't matter how many attacks you have. Doesn't matter how many bonus attacks you have. Doesn't matter how many shots your ranged weapon normally gets. One single attack, period, the end. You automatically hit the front armor, specifically front armor, even with a melee weapon, which is different from normal, you normally hit the rear armor, not in this case. You automatically hit, you automatically move to your armor penetration roll. If the model does not cause a um, result that stops or destroys the tank, so vehicle stun, vehicle immobilized, enough hull point damage to stop it, enough hull point damage to make it explode, 
that model, regardless of what it is, is crushed and removed as a casualty if that tank is not stopped or destroyed, which is super fun and funny in equal measure. So it's a very, very valuable tool. And I think I would like to end this by, I'm sure some of our listeners have heard, uh, gosh, it was a couple years ago now, uh, a series of videos that were put out on how to rhino corral people. I think it was in like sixth or seventh edition, but the entire idea is you would stuff a whole bunch of rhinos around a squad and then tank shot. And the rules say any models that can't be placed an inch or more away are destroyed and removed as casualties. So you could essentially, you know, tank shot through something and since they couldn't be placed, they have to be removed. Do not do this thing. It's a, <laughs> it is a dick move. And if your opponent does not call you out on it, they need to. Don't do this. It is not fun. And that concludes how to use Tank Shock. Yay! Thank you, Jason. Love it. Love it. <laughs> oh, good times. Next week, we'll talk about blind. That's my favorite rule. So, quick thing about that Tank Shock rule, though. <clears throat> so, say you have something with a Nambic clause, right? Anabaric clause? Anabaric clause, thank you. Correct. And you tank shock a squad, and they move at least enough away from you, but they're still maybe like an inch away from you. Uh If if then in the combat phase, can you technically roll for anabaric clause, or however you say it, I'm going to say it wrong. Um, Can you still roll for them? You're not technically in combat, but the rule does... Oh, you you mean that are you considered to be in quote-unquote assault? Okay, so here we go. I got the rule in front of me for the anabaric claw. A vehicle may trigger its anabaric claw in any turn, which it's being attacked in the assault phase, and at any point when it's either being rammed by another vehicle or is ramming an enemy vehicle itself with the limitation that the anabaric claw can only be used once per player turn. So uh, it's specifically when you're being attacked in the assault phase. Okay, so, and because tanks can't technically assault units. So, when the claw is triggered, it automatically strikes all units within one inch of the carrying vehicle's main hull, whether friend or foe. So, uh, that's D6, strength 5 hits, AD4, melee, rending. So, unfortunately... It doesn't work when you just flat out tank shock, which is frustrating because it feels like it should, but sadly it does not. Because, because tank shock happens in the movement phase. Happens in the movement phase, and it can only be uh, when it's attacked in the assault phase or when you're ramming or being rammed. Hey Jason, I have a couple questions on tank shock that I've just been sort of... so. So you don't have to move your full distance, right? You can. Uh, you do not. You just have to pick a number of inches, which you can pre-measure like anything else. And and vehicles have like you know they have like combat speed, um, and then full, uh, what is it? Uh, full out, right? 
Flat out, yes. Flat out, yeah. yeah thanks. I'm so good at this game. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so there are options there, right? So there are options. Now, uh, the, the, where I'm going with this is, so you, so you say you're going to tank shock, right? You're, yes. Um, does that then preclude you from shooting in the shooting phase? Uh, it does not, unless you move enough inches to preclude yourself. Right, so flat out or or, or uh, combat speed, and then you don't have machine spirit or something. Uh -huh. um, <clears throat> okay. So cool. if you want to, just like tank shock is essentially something you do for free if you yeah. move through infantry. Yeah, I mean, that's really, I think that's really where I was trying to go with this. For free rule that I think a lot of people don't, just don't understand that you just literally have to say, oh, tank shock, and you get a free leadership check against an infantry squad. More um, or less correct. They also get one free shot at you if they want to risk that model being squished. And so, Jason, if that model does do its thing, right, death or glory, and then, I guess, destroys the vehicle, um, that vehicle, if it were a transport, it would just... It would still just dump its load, right? It would just be, Correct. it would count as, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just okay. like any other transport being destroyed. Yeah. Okay. And if it is stopped, like stunned, immobilized, destroyed, uh, for purposes of, say, like calculating explosion distance or what have you, uh, it stops one inch away from the model that stopped it. Sweet. Love it. You guys should be playing this all the time because it's just fucking super thematic, right? Like you're going to have that one dude carrying the Melta who's going to die anyway, but this is just, this is just a better way to go. You know? Also, if you have a story better than tank shocking a assault squad with a Carnadon, please let me know because that's the funniest one I've been privy to so far, but I'm sure there are better ones out there. We should totally do a mailbag. Pat, we need to do a mailbag. All right. Pat, write that down. Mailbag. Okay. Pat, mailbag, quick. Where's a fucking pen? Um, <laughs> For no. just these kinds of things, right? Like, I don't want like crazy random conspiracy theories, but like, uh, but these would be good, right? Like, these would be fun. If you've so, used Tank Shock, let us know. Yeah. Listeners, tell us about your crazy Tank Shock stories. I know there's some of them out there, and we like, really want to hear them. The funnier, the better. Definitely. All right. Well, um, All right, guys. Yeah, I think that's it. Dave, do you have anything else to plug? You guys are going to want to listen to the main cast next week. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Ready for good. it. Very cool. Well, uh, thank you all for listening, and... Uh, because of how we're recording, we get to say, fuck off, Craig. I mean, we say it anyway, even when Craig's not around. Well, you know, I will say fuck off, Craig, but Craig's also like... At he's this the reason point, we're around right now? At this point, he's just, he's like, he's like the, he's like the girl that you keep going back to, man, right? It's really sad, isn't it? You know, like, shit got weird, and you, you know, you had to break it off, but like, ah, we're just, we're, we're right back there, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> now now you make me feel bad, Dave. Um, I don't damn. feel bad in the slightest. <laughs> All right. Well, fuck off, Craig. Fuck off, Craig. It's been sweet, but fuck right off, Craig. <laughs>